0: Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with uh, seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And we are here to impact you, empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. The primary way to do so is if you want to call the number uh, 347 237 5230. That is the number to call if you want to get your uh, thoughts on the air. And we welcome you to do so. The chat room is open. So you can also go to blogtalkradio.com, zero day chat room. You can get your thoughts in on that today. Also, um, Join us on Facebook at Zero Network on Facebook. You can uh, log on there, like the page, and catch up, uh, listen to archive shows on there. Also visit my website, Uh the articles, and uh, you can visit the store there, purchase a copy of my book, uh, Preaching the Family, and you can just uh, also read uh, various articles and posts. We are on... Um, just about every social media. On Twitter, uh, at Zero Radio, that's the uh Twitter um Twitter page for the show and my personal is at Prophesy. And also if you want to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on email, pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com. We're excited uh about today. It's hump day, it's Wednesday and um there's a lot been going on, there's a lot in the headlines and we're gonna to try to get as much covered as we can. As the Lord sees fit. If I missed anything, forgive me, because, you know, uh, it, it's Wednesday. Uh, so bear with us. We've got a lot to, we're going to try to cover. But we're asking primarily the question, is there a war on the church? Has that war started? Are we on the battlefield for the Lord? <laughs> in real in real terms, not just in uh, singing terms now, but is there real war happening in America on against the church, and we're going to ask that question. And we'd love to hear your your thoughts and insights about that. We're also going to talk about uh, Mr. Cosby and some of the uh, um, morality issues surrounding um, his uh, situation, and of course, all of that. There's a lot we're going to talk to. Um, but before we go to do anything further, we invite you to join us in prayer for a moment. Uh, Father we thank you for our opportunity to be on the show We thank you for this day, this is truly a day you've made Now God let us walk worthy of the calling that you have put us on Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight Our rock and redeemer we pray, Amen uh, So uh, let's get to some headlines before we go um, go a little further I, I There are a lot that I was trying to cover <laughs> there, there's a lot that I was trying to cover And there's a lot that's going on But I want to start off with a story That caught my attention um, And I've been following this story for some years now The story is about Jericho Temple Praise Church In Maryland um, If you're not familiar with the church uh, It's a mega church uh, just in the DMV area that uh, was came to prominence in the 80s and 90s because of uh, Pastor Betty Peoples, who was a very, very uh, well-known uh, woman of God. And she led that church in phenomenal growth. Her husband started the church. It was a Baptist church. At, well, it is still, a, I assume, still a Baptist church. And... Um, but, anyway, they had tremendous growth. I think they got over they got up to about twelve thousand people give or take somewhere in that that number range and apostle Betty peoples passed away uh in two thousand eleven I believe two thousand ten two thousand eleven and uh it was not clear uh who was her successor. Her son Joel served as her assistant while she was alive and when she passed um some clergy some pastors uh, freemans i think that name michael freeman i believe that's who it was said that she willed the church to them to him and he eventually took over and uh, got um got the son joel people's uh removed forcibly removed from the church he couldn't even go to his own church that his parents started he was forced to remove uh, forced to move out of the church and he had some loyal members who followed him and they started a little congregation I don't recall the name, but they were meeting in the school somewhere and then they um um and it was a legal battle uh the freemans had said that because they were um appointed some type of guardian position over the wheel or whatever. They they ran the church. And it just got messier and messier because the Freemans were, uh, they were convicted of some type of uh, fraud or something, and they ended up, you know, it went sour. In steps Bishop T.D. Jakes. Bishop T.D. Jakes uh, and others. Uh, I don't know their connection to the church. I don't know if they were on the board of directors or whatever, but Somehow he he got involved and uh, they selected a pastor, uh, Dr. Jazz. I think I can't think of her last name. She, I know she's called by the name Dr. Jazz. And he installed Bishop Jake's installed her as the pastor. Uh, maybe over a year ago. It was you know I I caught some of it on stream, and, you know, there was, it was a lot of celebration. She's a wonderful woman of God, and the people loved her, and, you know, she seemed to have a, a good agenda and, you know, good intent for the church. But it was still in court, and they were battling over it, and the court just decided, uh I believe yesterday or Monday, the church decided that the rightful pastor was Pastor Joel Peoples or pebbles, peebles or whatever. I think that's it. He is the rightful pastor and he is now able to return to Jericho Baptist Church or Jericho House of Praise, whatever the name it goes by. And uh and it's a huge campus. It's a big, 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 big building and big campus and um so it's a celebration for the for him and uh his his ministry and uh I know they're excited about it especially after having had to go through that extensive court battle so uh so congratulations to them i suppose and well, you know, I don't know what to say congratulations it puts the church in uh, you know puts it in an interesting interesting um situation because now uh from what i read based on um William McCrae, I think that's his name. Um yeah, William McCrae, his website Ignatius, Uh blog reported this and they reported that um uh Dr. Jazz have a million dollar buyout for her contract. She gets to keep the company car uh, the church cars that were given her cars that were given to her. And um, she is; she still has, uh, because it's, it's. I don't believe it's effective immediate, uh, but I'm sure there'll be some type of transition, period. But all of her engagements that she has throughout the rest of the year, be under uh, the guides of the church. You know, that's she's representing the church in that capacity. That doesn't remain the same. That remains the same from what I understand. That may change, but uh, you know. Yeah, she she getting the cool cut, but it's just sad that you know the word tells us not to take uh, our blo- our brothers and sisters to court, and we are finding more and more t- that unfortunately a lot of churches are doing that. Even in my connection of uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, we've had to take pastors to church. We've had pastors take bishops to church uh, to court, <laughs> not church. <laughs> we've had that happen. And, uh, you know, you, you try to avoid it. We have a church court set up, and oftentimes when our uh, judicial council in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, when our judicial council can't uh, cannot um, uh, juris- judicate the matter, it has to go to a circular court, and it's very sad when that happens. But you, it happens more frequently than we care to admit, but... But be in prayer for Jericho and his pastors and all the other parties involved in it. Some people are saying Jake should not have gotten involved. I, I don't know. It is, you know I, that is an independent church. And, you know, that's why it's very, it's very, very important. Pastors, if you're listening to me, um, those of you who are part of church bodies, if you're listening to me, it's very, very important that you have a succession plan written in place uh, that persons will know if you have, if you're governed by a deacon board, if you're governed by a board of elders in our case, because we are Episcopal, we're moved, even then, you know, there still needs to, if something happens to a pastor, there needs to be some type of succession plan uh, for leadership. And it's very vital. And that way you won't have to go through these things. You know, there's a, there's a church right now that uh, has their pastor, arrested <laughs> well the deacons had the pastor arrested because they wanted the old pastor back who got voted out i yeah i know it's messy but that's uh that's how some churches are functioning <laughs> and it's a very very sad case when that happens but uh anyway that's what it is in other news and i'm getting some of this from um the old black church you can go there to the old black dot com uh and uh you you get some of the stories, but uh, the seventh day adventist church um is voting on whether or not the church will allow uh divisions or regions of the church, not the entire denomination but regions uh you know um, part districts within the denomination to ordain women uh that's a that's a that's a, a major move for this year even though it was started by a woman um, it has has retained the idea that women um in ministry is unbiblical and uh now, they're addressing this, and they're taking it seriously, but they are not making it a denominational policy, but they are allowing districts within the denomination, uh, regions within the denomination, to put it up for discussion, as well as give them the autonomy to decide on whether they will or not. I think that's a wise move, um, and it says a lot. Uh, some There are those who are still... Hung up on this, and it's going to be an upscale, uphill battle for a lot of denominations. And um, while so many, while a lot of denominations, uh, mainline denominations such as ours, Methodist, um, Presbyterian, the Episcopal Church, um, still have been allowing women in ministry and in uh, uh, Episcopal leadership, there are those that are still falling behind. Uh, and speaking of first, the Episcopal Church Episcopal Church has elected its first African American presiding bishop. Congratulations to him! I was trying to find I had that article up, uh, and I can't remember where it is, and I, I I don't know why it hasn't made the news, but uh, it is a first. They have they had already elected their first openly homosexual uh, bishop and the first um, I think the last bishop they had was not only was she female but I think she was a lesbian I, I think that's the case um, um, but anyway they have elected their first African American uh, presiding bishop and it says a lot because again there's a lot of tension uh, in the Episcopal churches. you know they just met they just had their um convocation uh conference uh a week or so ago, and they voted well they had already voted to allow uh church their their clergy their very very liberal leaning uh denomination now and um they have voted to well they they've been recognizing same sex marriages Except same-sex unions, but now they they you know they rejoice that the Supreme Court has done that, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. So uh, that's just a little bit of some of the news that I had. We're going to get talking uh, about this Bill Cosby thing, and of course the idea of the war on the church. Are you on the battlefield or not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break and when I get back from this we're going to go into our topics for the day so stay tuned don't turn me off or tune me out we'll be back right after this
1: When we made our commitment to the Gulf BP had two big goals help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better safer energy company I've been with BP for 24 years as part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf. And I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state of the art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world, over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. cashback card from capital one it's not the juggle a bunch of rotating categories cards it's not the sign up for rewards each quarter card it's the no games no messing around no earning limit having do i look like i'm joking turbo boosting everywhere kevin of the world cashback card this is the quicksilver cashback card from capital one unlimited 1.5 percent cashback on every purchase everywhere every damn day now tell me what's in your
0: wallet motherfucker With the Name Your Price tool, you tell us what you want to pay, and we give you a range of coverages to
1: choose from. Who is she? That's FloBot. She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for, like, small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, FloBot. Great job.
0: Oops. Uh Uh-oh, FloBot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today.
1: At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance, because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars?
0: Off to Hawaii.
1: What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum.
0: At the University of Arkansas at Pine I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions
1: are made. At the University of Arkansas at
0: Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we're glad that you're joining us on this beautiful Wednesday uh, in the month of July. The year is going by super fast, and I am not complaining because I am yet alive. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into what I was wanted to talk about today. Uh, you know, since uh, this month, uh, this, this summer has been one that has garnered the passion of many Americans, particularly those who are Christian, for several reasons. Uh the first being um the the massacre at Mother Emmanuel in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh you know, it to it turned the hearts of even those who weren't believers, aren't believers, turned the hearts of those people to 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 uh grief, to mourn and to want to reconcile. It it broke down some serious barriers to uh reconciliation that had been standing for generations. It it, it brought out a call to to righteousness. And then on the day of, of Clement Pickney's, Clemente Picney's uh funeral, um the Supreme Court Um, ruled in favor of same-sex marriage. And um, so while we were in moments of celebration, that ended up turning into (laughs) moments of frustration and anger for others. Um, I'm pulling out some notes here, so you hear a lot of rumbling, paper rumbling and all that stuff. Anyway, so there was a lot that was going on that has... uh, raised serious questions among some Christian leaders, particularly those who are uh, conservative evangelical Christians regarding the attack and now what has been declared as an outright war on Christianity in America. And um in the midst of this, we've had now new allegations, new revelation about Mr. Bill Cosby. And so the question I'm actually putting forward is, is the battle or the war that's going on or that is being implied that's happening against the church, is it a moralistic one? Is it an antagonistic one? What is it? Is it a war on the moral legitimacy of the church moral authority of the church, or is it um, is it one on the institutional uh, um, institutional attack of the church yeah um, because you have And I'm I'm kind of pushing these both, pulling these both together because you have tangents of underlying arguments within that one question, those questions that I presented. Uh, You have those who are Bible-believing white males uh, who express a faith in Christ, who believe that their rights and their lives are now being infringed upon. More now than ever before, um with the taking down of a, a symbol, the flag of the confederacy uh or well you know one of the flags of the confederacy of in the south in the south um they feel as if there's not just attacking their their identity as white people but also as white bible believing Christians. And with the with the attack on with the uh, Supreme Court decision, it's as if it's attacking their idea of what an American nuclear family is. So 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 those are some of the underlying uh, questions, you know, id things that are being perceived and implied and inferred in uh, this overall argument about is there a war on the church? Now I can give you my personal opinion. My personal opinion is I I believe there are skirmishes <laughs> happening in particular places intentionally attacking um Christianity. By that I mean there are uh there are those within camps uh within uh the LGBT community, uh whatever it is, LBGTQIZY, whatever it is. I, I don't know. Uh, there are there are there are those within those some camps in that uh, group, and again this is uh, over general this is generalizing the group because you know can't say uh, the right now we have a very bad habit of, of of generalizing. For example, we say the Republicans, we say the Democrats, we don't say individual because the individual supposedly rep you know represents the whole, and we know that's not the case because. Um, We don't we don't say that one pastor represents the whole of Christianity if that pastor falls, but we do know that person may represent the whole of a facet, uh, a semblance of Christianity. Anyway, I'm I'm trying not to get too far off in this argument, uh, you know, too far off on a tangent. But anyway, there are there are those within camps that that do skirmishes. For example, we see the example we see the uh, the or, the case with the Oregon bake, the bakers in Oregon who refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding they got sued they were forced to pay a, over 100,000 dollars worth of fines and I, if i'm correct they even had to close their business maybe maybe not i don't know uh, but i know one baker had bakery had to close his doors because of that um now that was intentional and i say intentional because of all the bakers once this person realized that you know, uh, once this this couple realized that they uh, went to a, a a baker a bakery with known Christian uh, beliefs, uh, they still went for that. Then there's the second of all of these um, clerks of court who have been resigning or refusing to uh, issue uh, marriage licenses to same-sex couples because of their religious belief. Now, here's my only problem with this. If you are in public service, you are a public servant. Your religious belief do not or should not interfere with that. You don't have the right to say because of your religious belief that I will not do something. Well, Well, I guess you do because they did. They did. Uh, I have a problem with state legislatures and uh uh other elected officials undergirding religious uh, you know these these persons under the under the guise of religious liberty because what you're actually doing is telling them that they can discriminate and discrimination according to the constitutionally is wrong so you can't do it but uh under the guise of my religious belief I can and therefore will be protected I think that It's unfair and just wrong, but that's just me. Um, Because you you chose to get into public service, and the public is the public. (laughs) You know, you will have to serve people that you don't agree with, and I I I, I will go so far as to say that I bet you did not uh, you did not refuse to issue a uh, a marriage license to those couples that had been shacking up or those couples that had premarital sex or those couples who uh who's with where the woman may have had an abortion and you didn't know but they did and you still issued you know it, it gets into many different tangents that I think we you know we we, we can't afford to begin to allow. Now having said that um we we get into this this argument um a a moral judgment responsibility motivation action and development um and and I'm coming from a, a a moral uh psychological perspective okay moral psychology is 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 where this is really garnered this argument all about the war on church the war on the church and christianity because it's it's this broad intersection of what is, who has moral authority, okay? And if one has more moral authority, does one have the ability to infringe upon the others? Uh, Because we talk about sovereignty, you know, that brings in the issue of sovereignty. Every individual is sovereign, had their own free will, able to make decisions and think for themselves. And if that is the case then we are we don't have the we don't have the uh power to uh assign blame or praise for that matter really and you get into an argument of moral luck and moral luck and and this is this gets into uh mr cosby and i know i'm, I'm dangling between betwixt the two so just bear with me okay because you know um I, I'm rambling without rambling. There is there's a point to my madness, and I will get there eventually. <laughs> it's it's coming, really. It, it's coming. I, I you know I only have a little time. You know I try to do it in about an hour, <laughs> so bear with me. Now now here's the thing with with with, with Cosby. And, and I posted this article on my personal Facebook page. Um. Where one said one one writer says that Cosby's moral position caused him uh to basically put his foot in his mouth because he uh, uh, imagined himself to be a man of moral upstanding when when it came to you know black community you know he went on uh and and about 2010 was that somewhere in there. Uh, he in, in the 2000s he he was he he was you know going on this this rant this lecture about the black community and how we are or some are or not or are not um, being all that they could be representing the entirety of a generation that you know before he He talked about parents not raising their children correctly and you know put challenges to young men and he you know he backed it up financially he you know donated at least twenty million dollars to spellman he donated millions of other dollars and thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars to students to go to school. He's a well respected person you know he's an educated person. He has a doctorate degree, a doctorate education degree. So it's not like he's just a comedian. This is a person who had, according to some standards, high moral ground. And to come out and to hear that this man who had high moral ground was drugging women to have sex, um, that, that, that causes the question – you know that throws a clock, a cog in the wheel of his moral ground. You know his moral standing. It, it brought him down, and that's the argument some people are are making that he now is basically um, no longer has a moral foot to stand on, and because he didn't, as an individual, did not have a moral foot to stand on because he was raping um he was raping women. He, he you know, he had no, no grounds to um try to present or articulate what he believed to be inappropriate for inappropriate behavior or or appearance or anything that was negative for the black community. Now compare and contrast. Mr. Cosby is an individual. All these women came to make accusations against him. uh, You know, as the number grew, (laughs) dissidents grew, uh, and, you know, retractors grew, retractors against the women because the more women came out, the more it became like, okay, these women are seeking attention. This could not have happened. You know, we can understand maybe one or two, but to have a dozen (laughs) or more come out clearly something wrong, and it's not on the fault. It's not on the fault of Mr. Cosby. These are women, and because the time span, you know, some as far back as 30 years ago, clearly these are women who are trying to ride the fame, you know, of these accusations. Anyway, and now we have, you know, affidavits that said, court release documents that said he did that to an individual woman, not to all women, but to an individual woman, who, you know, he let say, later settled for undisclosed amount. Um, so, he has lost moral authority, okay? He has not lost moral responsibility, because now he still can act morally regarding the actions of the past. You know he can come clean and say, "Well, I did, and I had indiscretions." And he has admitted to indiscretions. You know he can do that. Uh, he could say that um, I, I I did not. That was not a pattern. You know that was that was not uh, my modus operandi. He could say that, and that will still give him a sense of moral uh, responsibility and moral development in the sense. Now. And people will forgive him. People will forgive him. You know, blacks will take a little longer to forgive him <laughs> because he has tarnished his his good, you know, Doctor Hustable image. So blacks will take a little longer. But they, they, you know, I'm writing I'm writing on something right now that was impressed upon me earlier this weekend. The fact that black people have this tendency to forgive our leaders, in spite of. Very, very detrimental actions against us. We still forgive. Them. You know, we look at pastors and well, the case of Eddie Long, who is still at his church in spite of having to pay his church having to pay twenty five million dollars to settle his allege you know his alleged indiscretions. Uh, and We do that for some reason. We forgive our black leaders, uh, with the exception of one. Uh, I'm still waiting on my boy Kwame to be forgiven. You know, the city of Detroit have not forgiven him. <laughs> they are not allowing him to come back. And, you know, maybe when he gets a little older, they, you know, he gets a grade and becomes a statesman an elder statesman based on his, you know, his moral growth and development and his mo his action on moral responsibility. Maybe they will, but I'm still waiting for that moment. Black folk haven't forgiven him, but they forgave Jesse Jackson. They forgave Al Sharpton. They forgave all. You, you go. You go through the number of this. Um, <laughs> you know, we we do that as black people for some reason. And if you go to the local churches, that's a whole different ballgame. But anyway, so having said all of that, yes, a Black America may eventually forgive. They may wait till he bill passes on before they forgive him, and you know, go on and people begin to reinsert him into the fabric of americana you know they'll do that maybe (laughs) but for right now you know it is not a good chance um now where does that put the church why why did i go all around that and 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 you know seeming (laughs) seeming place and and i have not discussed the church well, here's the thing about the church. The church as an institution has been granted idea of morality, you know, moral authority. In other words, for centuries, it has been the Christian church that has dictated how persons should behave and should not behave based on scripture and you know you as as most western christians you know we ignore what's in the the uh, pentioch the first five books of the bible the law we don't live by that and so we do not ascribe as much um energy a moral authority into the Pentateuch. while we recognize we say we are not under the law because we are in the new testament okay and therefore we we you know we don't ascribe as much authority to that. However, the same ones who don't ascribe much authority to that use scriptures uh verses from the Pentecost to undergird their arguments against homosexuality, against uh certain behaviors that they think and deem immoral, except for their own <laughs> and in so and so doing they create this uh, dichotomy of moral uh relative, moral relativity because what they do and what the what the general church does has done and i you know i've been i participated in this in my own my own faith is that what we believe to be uh not so bad we give a pass and what we believe to be just overwhelmingly past we cannot allow. And that, that's um, basically, that comes under the argument of moral luck. And I know a lot of Christians don't believe in luck, but in the case of morality, uh, moral luck is how we assign blame or praise to actions or consequences. Even if it's clear that the person had full, uh, full or no full, you know, did not have full control of their actions or the consequences. It's like, for example, in, and, and, um, and, I, and when we was when I was studying ethics, um and and you know, we study pastoral ethics. I have several books and I have uh my uh one of my favorite theologians, Paul Tillich, wrote a book on morality. Yet <laughs> in writing that book on morality, which I have in my library and I, I reference from time to time, uh, <laughs> he was Sexually immoral, you know. He he participated. He had several lovers while he was married. Yet, um, yet he was one of the greatest, if not considered one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. In spite of his even writing on morality, he himself failed morally. Okay. Uh, but but <laughs> that was a different time because you know, an individual's personal life, you didn't even know about it. Most people had no idea about that part of Paul Tillich's life until after he passed. And one of his students wrote about it, and his wife, of course, later wrote about it and, you know, explained it on, from her perspective. So, you know, while he was alive, nobody had that, you know. Even if it was very per- personal, you know, it was public. he was a public figure, but nobody— Bothered to ponder his personal life, and it's only recently, within the last thirty years, primarily, I I say the 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 biggest turning point on moral luck came with President Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky scandal. When you know all of his business, part well, you know even before Monica Lewinsky, when President Clinton was running for president, and you had all these allegations of immorality, you know sexual innuendos and other stuff going on, ultimately, you know, leading to him getting beached. But anyway, um, the public and private life was divested. You know, there was no, there was no, um, you, you didn't know. And now, um, an individual's public life and private life are uh, interchangeable. People want to know to see the private life. And if they deem the private life immoral, then you know the public life doesn't matter. Unless the person is unless the person is transparent and uh, you know pretty much upfront, then they'll be more forgiving. But you know when we talk about moral luck, um, regarding re- regarding the Supreme Court decision, if the Supreme Court had voted. The opposite, most Christians would be rejoicing right about now. They would be assigning praise to the justices, the ones who wrote the affirming vote, not the dissenting ones, but the ones who wrote the you know majority vote they would be ascending assigning praise to them, and they were saying they would be lifting up the virtue of the Supreme Court. They would be saying how, how wonderful the court is and how God has ruled in favor of his people and blah 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 yah yah yada. If that had happened. And of course those who favored uh gay marriage would be lamenting and would be saying this is a uh this is a, a, a bad day um is 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 a religious oppression because we are not able to do such and such. you see what I'm saying? The opposite would be happening if the Supreme Court had voted in opposite way. We tend to assign blame or praise based on what we believe to be right or wrong. And there's a whole other, you know, I wish I had more time. I probably have to teach on this both at the church and, you know, do a segment on this and go into more detail. But why do I say that there's really, you know, there's only skirmishes Uh against the church because these are intentional attacks just like what uh this guy Ruth, uh whatever they call his name is that was an intentional attack at uh emmanuel ame in charleston it was intentional it was planned it was not probably well thought out but it was intentional he went there with the intent to do harm and murder okay um uh, and when we think about Intentional skirmishes. Uh, most churches are now getting in fear, uh, and the rhetoric that is becoming common is now churches will be formed, pastors will be forced to perform same-sex, you know, marriages, and that's not the case. At least not the case in my my Zion, because we're governed by a book of discipline that directly has said where we stand on this and has given clear implications of the consequences if we violate said thing you know said principle said law in our book of discipline so you know i'm not worried about it the only way i'll be concerned is when we go to our general conference next year in, in philadelphia and someone writes legislation to put forth in the book of discipline to change that language or to change the policy that's where i get concerned and as much as i love the ame church If that happens, I will probably leave. (laughs) I know that sounds hard. But, you know, I am one who believes that there is, should be, it is and should be a separation of church and state. So that's why I didn't get all, you know, all bent over, out of shape because of this uh, decision. Largely because I understand the secular world is the secular world. Can we coexist? Yes, should we coexist? Yes. For those who argue the second secondary aside from the war on the church by the secular the world, secular world the LGBT community and all these other things that, now the secondary argument is that there were, there's a war of Christianity from Islam and I this one I I uh, the reality is, yes, there are factions of those who are Islamic who are attacking Christianity in Ethiopia. I mean, in in, uh, in Egypt, and in Syria, in Nigeria, in Kenya, and in the Philippines, and probably other places that are you know other places where we know that there is direct uh, persecution against Christians by those who are Muslims. That is no doubt. And, you know, it's documented. However, here in the states, in the United States of America, there is no persecution on the American church. There is none. It does not exist. We do not live under threat of death for being Christians. We do not live under the threat of being overturned by an Islam as a, and an Islamic state, that is not going to happen because of the way said, our country has been set up. We are a religious free country. We are not governed by a particular state, religious state, which means everybody who has whatever religion you believe, you may believe in, Rayanism, you, know, you you whatever you believe, you are free to practice it. There is no dominant um religious. Now, a vast majority of the populations are Christian because a vast majority of the people who came to this country were Christian. The country was founded by persecuted Christians. Uh you know, you know the story of the pilgrims. They were Christians. The the um uh, what is the other ones? <laughs> they were Christian folk. And they came to this country to escape what they believed was persecution when they were in England. The Pilgrim and the Puritans. Escape, the Puritans. Uh, that does not exist today. Why do we promote this fear as Christians? I, white Christians, why do they promote the fear? And I'm saying white Christians because those are the ones primarily promoted. There are packets, there there are segments of uh, black Christians who espouse to that. Uh, but, you know, honestly, you know... I, there's no ground for that. I, I can't even understand why a black people, a black Christian, would even express a sense of persecution when we still have churches being burned down, intentionally being burned down. You, you understand? So I can't, <laughs> I can't understand why we would even side with the voice of a, the oppressor in this sense. Uh, it makes no sense. Now, why do they want us to pursue? A war because one they're looking for the idea of Jesus coming back soon and rapturing us out. That's some. The other, it's all about power. The loss of autonomy means the loss of power. If Christian if there are Christian churches who send who have a sense of infringement upon their autonomy, as a lot of these churches do, then they have a sense of loss in identity and power. That's what it boils down to. Who controls who? Who has the power to influence who? Who has the means of declaring what is and is not? And when you really, really dissect that, you see the larger picture the larger picture, the larger rhetoric, is not about a war; it's about who's in control. Even then, even within Christian Christianity, Western Christianity, American Christianity, there are sects that are still trying to dominate, particularly, you know, the white, uh, the evangelical Christians. And there were some who would consider me evangelical, and I I, I guess I can ascribe to that because, you know, by the definition, you know, I believe in being born again, and that's the simplest definition of an evangelical Christian. Uh, So in that sense, yes. However, um, the smaller scope of the evangelical church here in America, you know, when you think of evangelical Christian, you think about white Southern Baptists, pretty much. You know, the white Baptists. Uh, you don't think of white Presbyterian. You don't think about the white Methodists. You think about the white Baptists with the call to intersect and interconnect religion and politics. You think about the, uh, the right, the religious right. You think about the uh, Christian coalition, Pat Robertson and the late uh, Jerry Falwell and those kind of people. You, you know, Dr. James Kennedy, the Lord rest his soul. um, you think about those persons who who emulated this idea of not only American exceptionalism, but Christian American exceptionalism. And so uh, they are the ones who are taking the heat. They are the ones who are taking offense to all that's happening on the social strata of the American um, contemporary religious field. They are the ones who are feeling and believing And therefore, expressing the idea of a war, because anything that's socially relevant to them, if it's attacked, or they feel that it's attacked, because there's an alternative argument being presented, even if it has biblical undertones, underpinnings, you know, it's majority, you know, moral majority. That was always trying to say the moral majority. And again, it goes back to this idea of moral luck, where we assign blame or praise to what we believe, even if the uh, the agent had no control over it, the consequences or the actions. You know, and that's where we have to find um, a sweet relief. <laughs> it's to use the uh, words of a hymn, you know. Uh, let me at that throne of mercy find a sweet relief kneeling there in deep contribution help my unbelief and the unbelief for many christians is you know our world seems to be falling apart we're losing the moral authority we once held as a church largely because our leadership (laughs) is not reflecting the moral uh Authority, the moral responsibility, the moral motivation, or the moral action to carry out the authority that once had as a church, and and, and again, uh, there's a fallacy there because even you know for centuries that the church was in power, the leadership of the church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, was never really morally, <laughs> uh, uh, you, you know, never really acted morally think about the crusades you think about uh one of the popes i think was pious and I can't think of but had children and the popes were supposed to be celibate you know the priests were supposed to be celibate but then you think about the time during um the time of martin luther where the church was selling um excuse me where they were selling you know i can't think of it my mind is going drawing a blank but you guys those of you who are scholars you understand Um uh, um they were doing all of this so there was corruption then and that was 600 years ago and there was corruption then what makes you think there's no there is no more corruption now and by that argument you know why do we believe that there is a war on Christianity when there's always been corruption in Christianity i'm going to drop that right there now for it to be a real war, real persecution, for it to be deemed deadly, the end of the world is near. There has to be greater. There has to be something greater. We have to have the moral moral uh, high ground, which we don't. I as an individual don't. That's why I can't condemn anyone. I can't rail against a primary sin of someone because I have a primary sin that I wish to have, not have disclosed because of shame and guilt. That's the reality we have to face, we have to deal with. If we be honest with ourselves as people of God, people of the way, people of the cross, people of faith, we wouldn't be saying, judge not, lest you be judged. No, no, we don't. That That's neither here nor there, even though it's the words of Christ. Contained within his uh uh preaching on the mount um, but his sermon on the mount, but we have to say within that uh, look within ourselves and say and say uh are we really empowered and liberated because if we are truly empowered and truly liberated, we wouldn't feel infringed upon. We would not feel damaged. We would not feel, um, and I use the word feel because again, it's it's all implication. But we will understand uh, that if we read the Bible, there was corruption, there was immorality among God's prophets, God's God's, God's people, and God's leadership, and it's the same today. So anyway, I got to get out of here. I hope you enjoyed the show again. You can tune in every week. You go to Zero Today, uh Block Talk Radio, catch up with archive show, go to the um go to the Zero Network on Facebook and like it. Tune in and let me know what you think. And leave drops, you know, leave your comments. However you want to do it, we'd love to hear from you. And hopefully we'll be back next week. The Lord wills to be able to do another show. Until then, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and i got to get out of here. I hope you had a wonderful day because I'm about to have a wonderful day myself. Until then, the Lord be with you, and have a great one. I'm out. Blessings.